Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. Michael's guest on today's podcast is Dr. Barbara Peacock. An experienced preacher, teacher, and minister of discipleship and prayer, Dr. Peacock trains in spiritual direction and soul care for ministry leaders and has a God-given call and desire to serve as spiritual coach for individuals and groups. Her latest book, due in May with InterVarsity Press, is titled Soul Care in African American Practice. It's a fascinating look at prayer, spiritual direction, and soul care and how the transatlantic journey for the slaves was the entry point or beginning of spiritual direction and soul care from an African-American perspective. Dr. Peacock also uses examples of 10 significant men and women like Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Howard Thurman, and others to give leadership examples of how important soul care was to their own lives. Now, this conversation takes place in two parts, so be sure to listen and download the conclusion next week. Now, without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Dr. Barbara Peacock, welcome to the Restoring the Soul podcast. Thank you, Michael. I'm delighted to be with you today and with your listening audience and just thankful for this special day. I am too. Uh, we were talking before I hit record and a delightful conversation. So I, I am really looking forward to this conversation. But one of the things that I commented on, and if I hold up the book, of course, nobody can see it, is your new book with University Press, Soul Care in African American Practice. I said, not only did I enjoy the book, but it's one of the best looking, gorgeous books that I have seen. It's just so well designed and done. So talk about that. Um, how, how did that all happen? Yes, uh, I'm with you. I'm partial. Uh, Michael, one day I was sitting here in my uh, office, and as you can see, I have a collection of books behind me. It's not a fake screen. <laughs> it's, it's the real <laughs> deal. And I have books throughout the house, and I've given away hundreds uh, of books. And so um, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a bookworm. 
um, I remember growing up and enjoying books. And uh, when I became a teenager, I said to my mom, I was like, well, mom, why didn't you tell me about X, Y, and Z? She said, well, you read everything I thought you knew, but uh, I really didn't know. And, um, but as it relates to the cover, uh, I was thankful so much for the opportunity to, to work with InterVarsity Press. What a wonderful organization that are committed to uh, spirituality, Christianity, and the disciplines of the faith. And uh, so we, we were all working together for, to discover a cover. And so they came back to me with this cover and they were pretty excited about it. It was uh, a cover with kente cloth and leaders like Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass and uh, a picture of Rosa Parks and Coretta Scott King on the front. And it was pretty exciting. And I looked at it and I was like, hmm, that looks like the 60s. <laughs> Uh, like the 60s, 60s, it looks like uh, this. It looked like the civil rights movement. It looked like uh, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And, you know, all these things that I grew up with. And I said, I think we need something a little bit more modern. And uh, so they went back to the drawing board and uh, they came back with a rendition of what you see here on the cover here of the book, Soul Care and African-American Practice. And we kept tweaking it. It's an overlay of uh, four different layers of graphics, if you look. And it's, it's, it speaks amazingly um, to the, the reader or to the person that I like to call the person that's looking at the picture, a person that practices Visio Divina, a divine revelation and a divine encounter with the Lord. And so um, I use it in my classes. We do uh, soul care labs and um, we do them. We've been doing them on Monday and Tuesday nights, but our next class won't be until the middle of 2021 on a weekend. Uh, like I think it's like March the 17th or something like that. But anyway, this um, this design, it draws you in. And every time you look at it, you see something different. So one day in class, a student says, I see a peacock. I was like, a peacock. (laughs) That's like my last name. They snuck it in. (laughs) And the interesting uh, story behind that is, uh, as you read the book, um, you found out that my mother's maiden name was Peacock, and I married a peacock. And when I was pledging a sorority in undergrad school, they named me Madam Peacock, and I did Madam Peacock fashion extravaganza. So I have this whole uh, genre of peacocks, and we have peacocks all, all over our houses, all, all over our house. I say houses, we've been in many houses, we've lived in so many states, but uh, we have a rug with peacocks. But uh, the, the peacock, if you t- take a look, is on the front. Um, Right above in the middle of the forehead of the yes. lady. Do you see it, right? I see it, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, how could that be? And and that just that just lets you know uh the, the, div- the divinity of God and the awesomeness of God and the omnipresence of God. It's such a beautiful uh gift that he gave us. I mean, I'm sure they didn't start off trying to have a peacock on this book or a bird <laughs> or whatever, but uh it's there. So I'm just so thankful and the cover continues to speak no matter how many times you look at look at it, it just speaks volumes and it uh it continues to uh reveal truth to me and to those that are in the class and those that read the book. So that's the kind of like a sum, summation of the cover. 
Well, InterVarsity, InterVarsity oh. might not set out to have put the peacock on there, but the, the, the Lord probably did. He was like, wait till I surprise her and show her that. But it, it really is, even before you mentioned Visio Divina, it just draws you in. And I find myself gazing at it because there's, there's so many different images. But will you talk a little bit more about Visio Divina? That's a classic spiritual practice that goes back centuries. But also, you talked about it in the book, and we practice it some here at Restoring the Soul with our intensive counseling programs, but we don't have a, an opportunity to do a lot of it. So give an example of how you've used that in your trainings for soul care. Well, as you've discovered also in the reading that I attended uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and I went to the South Hamilton campus for my doctoral studies, and one of the pictures um, or illustrations that they shared with us was a rendition of Jesus and the Lamb. And uh, there's it's just a beautiful uh, depiction of how Jesus carries us. And that just uh, ministered to my soul while I was in seminary. And one of the things I wanted to include in this book was a more Afrocentric uh picture of Jesus and the lamb. And you, and uh, the book is divided into two parts. Uh, the totality of the book is 10 chapters, but uh, the first part is five chapters on what I call spiritual leaders or spiritual giants in the African-American community. And the latter part is the other five spiritual leaders. And most of those spiritual leaders have uh, gone on to be with the Lord, but there are three spiritual leaders in the book that are still with us today. But I, I just love Vizio Divina it it calls us to pause and uh according to psalm 46:10 it calls us to be still and to know that he's God to be still and to allow um the spirit of God in us to see the beauty of God's creation through different visible objects uh you could do visio divina st- staring at the sky you could do visio divina meditating on a beautiful flower, uh, the intricacies of God's creation. Uh, but so often Visio Divina is done with uh, pictures and illustrations. And so the whole, the whole process, uh, just like Lexio Divina, calls us to, to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to grow. Uh, that's what I like about the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are all designed for us to grow closer and to develop a more intimate relationship with the Lord. And you wrote in the book, right at the beginning, about how you grew up in farmland, North Carolina. And um, you said that that predisposed you to being focused on matters of the soul and, and spiritual disciplines about that. And I, I think what you meant by that was that as opposed to just believing the right things and going to church, but that even at a young age, there was this emphasis on your inner life. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the things, you know, growing up on the farm, that's all you know. And then you go off to college and you get out into the world and you'd be like, oh, my God, I missed out on all of these wonderful things. Like, how did I even exist? But as you grow older, you realize the importance of the formation that God had designed for you for, or for me on that farm. And one thing that farm offered me was 
the opportunity to be creative. I used to love to take pictures, love just used to take rolls and rolls of pictures and send them off and get them developed. So even then I was engrossed in Visio Divina, but I didn't know, I didn't call it Visio Divina. I just love taking pictures and, and love the creation that I was surrounded with all the animals and, and the trees and watching things grow. So it's like, the, and in, God embedded me with this desire to be able to articulate it later in my life, decades later. I think it's fascinating. You know, we all around the world, there are art museums and people will make pilgrimages and they'll pay money and they'll wait in line to go see pictures. And they may be atheists, but we know intuitively that there's something about um, if I go and I see something it, it might move me or there might be something important in that to reveal to me. Do you have a favorite piece of art or a favorite artist uh, that has meant something to your heart? Yes, I am uh, a big fan of, of Van Gogh. <laughs> uh, I love his strokes, mm. uh, his imagination, his individuality, his unfinishedness, <laughs> mm. if that's such a word how he was willing to go against the grain and he painted from his soul. He painted from uh, the depth of his soul from even in the midst of pain. Uh, he, he uh, would just paint these, uh, these short breaths strokes. Another uh, painting I have, which uh, I think I briefly mentioned it in the book is a picture of uh, Dr. Rosa Parks in the book. I refer to her as Mrs. Rosa Parks but she received several doctoral degrees. And the painting that I have is a painting of, uh, it, it's, it's uh, three-dimensional. So it has a painting of Mrs. Parks sitting on the bus in the front. And that's kind of like in the background. And then in the forefront, there's a, uh, a painting of, there's the drawing of Dr. Parks being arrested and having uh, her thumbprint uh, at the police station. And when I look at that, you know, I said, that's, that just, that just, uh, touches my heart because I think about how Dr. Mrs. Rosa Parks was a woman of faith and that without saying anything, I, we can't see a greater depiction of meditation and contemplation without saying anything. God used her to change the trajectory of a nation, of a people. What a movement. And then uh, I like to identify contemplation as going deeper into the discipline of meditation. And so when she was being arrested and her fingerprint was being taken and and she knew she was going to go to jail, she just had such a quiet, gentle posture. So... uh, I love that painting. And like I said, I love Van Gogh. Um, I just, I love art. I love um, African-American art. And our our daughter is an artist and I did take a class in undergrad on art. So I just love uh, drawings and paintings and sketches and those kinds of things. And you included a number of uh, photographs, including um, basically head or upper body shots of the different um, spiritual heroes from uh, Frederick Douglass to Dr. Rosa Parks, as you said, and Martin Luther King and others, a couple of which are still alive. The most haunting image, and I have yet to uh, actually 
do a visio divina and set my gaze upon this because it was it was I'm looking at it now utterly disturbing. It's uh, an image, and it says the deck of the slave ship Wildfire from April of 1860, and you see this deck that appears to be 50, 80 feet long. Um, and there's ropes that go upward, so the 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 sails are are full. And then at the very end of the deck, there's like another level, and there are there are African human beings just crowded into there. And um, because I know less about the history of the slave trade and more about uh, the Holocaust, it it had that same stomach-churning sense of looking at it. And as as awful as that feels internally, it's something important spiritually. It's not just a physical reaction. So can you tell me first, why did you include that picture? And how, especially as a Black woman and a minister of the gospel, uh, as a human being, how does that picture affect you? Well, one of the things that compelled me to write about soul care and spiritual direction from an African-American perspective uh, was the lack of material as it relates to spirituality and spiritual disciplines in the African-American faith. Because as I was going through seminary, I saw a lot about spirituality and disciplines and formation from people that don't look like me, but I saw very little as it relates to those in our community. And I said to myself, for sure, (laughs) for sure, we are a spiritual people. And for sure, we have something to do with this thing called spiritual formation. And so I went on a journey of seeking uh, an entry point for the beginning of African American spiritual direction, a beginning point for African American soul care. And I know in our uh, environment today, we often merge the concept of self-care and soul care. We often think about soul care as dealing with stories and this uh, soft cushiony thing, I like to call it. But uh, when I talk about soul care, I use it in this book as being parallel to spiritual direction and the necessity for that discipline. So if if we're going to talk about an entry point for spiritual direction and soul care, we have to ask ourselves, well, when did this happen? And where did it happen? And who did it? And so, yes, I got excited when I read about spiritual leaders like uh, Frederick Douglass and, and Rosa Parks and Howard Thurman and Martin Luther King, which to me is one of the greatest spiritual director leaders of a nation. God used him mightily to make a movement in the civil rights movement. He and his wife, Coretta Scott King. But if we back into it, we have to say, well, spirituality didn't from an African-American context didn't begin with them. So when does spirituality, spiritual direction and soul care begin in an African-American culture? Well, simple. If I'm coming from the coast, the West Coast of Africa, and I'm on my way to America, something is happening in the middle of that. Before I reach my destination, something is happening in me. Something is happening in my soul spiritually. So I use the transatlantic as 
an entry point for the beginning of spiritual direction and soul care from an African-American perspective, when people from different tribes and different cultures and different languages and different faiths were packed like sardines on a ship, but they were forced to be attentive to one another's souls. They were forced to listen and to care as people died. And so I want to read here uh, on page uh, 14 in the book, because one of the sources I found very helpful in my research was the source uh, uh, entitled, the book was entitled Beyond the Resurrection, and it was by Kellerman and Edwards. So I'm going to begin with their quote on the bottom of page 14, and then I'm going to lead us on to page 15 in my own words. Okay. So uh, you notice the picture, the deck of the slave ship wildfire, April 1860. Um and but let me let me share with you before I go there. So I knew my assignment in writing this book was over when the Clotilda was discovered, the slave ship that went to Africa and when slavery had been prohibited. Someone took it upon themselves to go and to bring slaves back. And that ship was discovered recently. So when I. Uh, I knew my research was done. That was in tw- May 24, 2019 was when this uh, remnants of this ship was, was discovered. And that's on page 157 for those of you that have the book and for those of you that will get the book. So I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. And uh, I would also like to interject that we're working on a workbook that can give persons more of an opportunity to uh, study more Lexio and Visio Divina and give you spaces to write uh, we're working on that, and that will be coming out in 2021. Okay, so here on page 14, as I was saying, as Kellerman and Edwards visualized the transporting of slaves from Africa to America, they wrote, and I quote, even while stowed like animals below deck, they saw the shining North Star of God with upturned eyes of faith looking out spiritual portals, end of quote. And then I write, while in chains, many slaves expressed great faith in God. The only one who could deliver them from such inhumane circumstances. Many were infected with ferocious diseases, including respiratory ailments and fevers that accompanied infections. Moans and groans penetrated the atmosphere as a result of pain, sickness, sorrow, and loss. No doctors were there to prescribe medications or apply appropriate salves. No preachers were there to perform eulogies. No food was there to fill hungry bellies in the midnight hour. During these challenging hours and days on slave ships, Many Africana fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and cousins were attentive toward each other's weary, tired, and wounded souls. Many times their conversations kept them alive. Care, love, and prayerful conversation were the best prescription for the oppressed. Imagine strangers listening to, caring for, and encouraging one another in such conditions. 
see them holding one another, even as they died. All too often, death was inevitable and at times considered a more comforting option than life. Those who lived expressed their faith by believing and trusting God that a better day would come. And for me, Michael, this is the beginning of soul care and spiritual direction in African-American practice. What a treat to have you read that. That was beautiful. And I love your writing. I want to skip forward two sentences And would you read, would you actually read the next paragraph? Because there's a line there that I want to help unpack or have you help us unpack. So that that next sentence that begins with, it was on those slave ships. Okay. It was on those slave ships making the middle passage that we find the origins of African-American spiritual direction and soul care. Even though the intent was to destroy Black people, and to strip them of their heritage, God's divine hand prevailed. In the midst of the most inhumane conditions, the slaves were strengthened by their spirituality. As Johnson reminded us, slaves did not debate the existence of God, but wondered whether God was with them in their struggle. Thank you, especially for extending that. Um, there's so, so, so much there. But the first thing is that, that these were real people that were uh, stripped of their dignity, um, that that were kidnapped, stolen away, made refugees, taken from their homeland. And it's it's the very worst kind of suffering in this paradox that something sustained them, and I won't suggest that they were thriving, but that somehow in the very worst of circumstances that there was something where they were okay and it was their connection. And in the world that we live in today that seems to be upside down and and turned around, um, we desperately need that kind of soulful spirituality. And I guess my question is, would you talk about the difference between – uh, believing Christianity or praying a prayer to get saved and spirituality, because there was something different from just, well, we believe these things to something deep within that really sustained them and what you're calling the spirituality. Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about the, the question is the difference between salvation. <laughs> and I guess I will call it spirituality with tenacity. Okay, say more about that spirituality with tenacity. Yeah, I want I want to read uh, something here on page one fifty one, and then we can continue uh, because you, I, it ties in. Doctor Peacock, you can read the whole book if you want. It's uh, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> it says on page one fifty one, the African American community has a pattern of continuously resurrecting itself despite the hangings and lynchings that scourged and destroyed brown, black, and tan bodies, fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, African-Americans still exude an inward spiritual strength that keeps on rising regardless of adversity, injustice, and persecution. This is not disregarding the reality of the struggle. But I believe 
We are conditioned in our DNA to get up and go at it again and again and again. You know, there's there's so many things popping in my mind right now, Michael. I'm thinking about the thief on the cross that was being crucified with Jesus. And he said, remember me in paradise. So looking at that, we can look at the beauty of salvation, but we can also look at some of the challenges that we have. Like at a dying moment, this thief gave his life to the Lord. So salvation is bloody. Jesus died. We reap the benefit. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of our works that anybody could boast. But salvation comes with a cost. And in this book, I, I talk I talk about um, Howard Thurman, who's who, <laughs> OK, I, I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to come away here. Well, let's 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 read this. And I'm, I'm still with your question here, uh, Michael. Um, but Howard Thurman talks about suffering and how freedom is birthed out of suffering. And he says on page 136, he says, what would life be like if there was no suffering, no pain? The startling discovery is made that if there were no suffering, there would be no freedom. Men will make no mistakes, consciously or unconsciously. The race could make no mistakes. There would be no error. There would be no possibility of choice at any point or in any sense whatsoever. And then he continues. Freedom, therefore, cannot be separated from suffering. This then may be one of the ways in which suffering pays for is right. Wow. So we don't have any freedom. Without suffering, technically, somebody's going to pay a price for freedom. And i that's the climate that we are in, in our nation. And you mentioned earlier, George Floyd. George Floyd paid a price. Breonna Taylor paid a price. Martin Luther King paid a price. You know, I had the opportunity of running down to a mourner's bench at 14 years of age and giving my life to the Lord inside of a church. But my ancestors paid a price for their salvation. If they were caught worshiping God, independent of their slave masters, their life was at stake. And so they would, they would slip away into the woods and have church so that one day we could have 
as a people of color, our own church, they paid a price for our salvation. Because in the beginning, we went to our master's churches. And we sat in the balcony. And then we realized we had a spirituality of our own that cried out from our African roots. And we were willing to pay the price for that. A spirituality formed in suffering. Yes. And then if Christendom didn't think it was enough to beat us and to preach twisted biblical principles, um, there was a Bible that was made, that was put together, that was published called a slave Bible. And in the slave Bible, 90% of the Old Testament was extracted. So you can imagine anything about Moses or a Sabbath day or freedom or, or love or creation and the equality of all humanity stripped from the pages. And these were American so-called Christian slave owners that were doing this uh, to basically. Well, this, particular Bible, this particular Bible was printed in London. Okay. It was printed in London in 1807 for the British West India Islands. But we know if one hurts, we all hurt. So if you're oppressing me, that really means that there's something in you that's oppressive. And so you have to oppress another person to feel better about yourself. So even though the slaves were the only ones that may have been the recipients of this, it's affecting our whole country, our world, even right now. It's all, nothing can be separated. Everything is interrelated. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh, cut you off, but I wanted to get the location right for the London uh, Slave Bible. Yeah, no, no worries at all. And actually, I'm so happy that, you know, we're, we're starting with your book, but your book is much more than just, hey, read this book and here's some stories of some African-Americans that did some spiritual things. It's really so much bigger than that. And you're encouraging us to think about slaves who came over and how that kind of suffering was the genesis of this spirituality. But there's much bigger implications for all of us. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. RestoringTheSoul.com.